the identification with the powerless, the vulnerable, and the abused. And so this ought to be a distinguishing mark of God's covenant people also. A people that are for walking alongside, protecting, and seeking the flourishing of the vulnerable and the forgotten. To be a neighborhood church means seeking the joy of the neighborhood. Which is what we find in today's passage, this pair of Proverbs that we find in the middle of the Old Testament. It's a picture of faithfulness in the city. In fact, it's a picture of the results of faithfulness in the city. The city rejoices. There are shouts of joy. And why does the city rejoice? Well, here's one example in history. The first century reign of the Roman emperor Nero was characterized by corruption, personal cruelty, extravagance, and tyranny. And according to ancient historians, when he finally died, the people of Rome, now liberated, the people of Rome celebrated. And so it goes, if a a city or a people languish under oppression, under the groans of the heavy burden of injustice, In the words of this proverb, when the wicked perish, there's relief, there is gladness, there are shouts of joy. But besides or in addition to the overthrow of injustice, there's a second cause for a city's joy that we find in these brief proverbs. It's mentioned in the first half of verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now you think about it, this is strange. When the righteous prosper, others shout for joy. You know, normally when others do well, I'm not always so sure I'm happy. Maybe I struggle with this disease called envy more than you do. Or sometimes I might look across the way and see that someone else is blessed. But if I'm not... If someone else is exalted, but I'm not. If someone else's life is going well, but mine is not. Well, it might be a cause for joy for you, but perhaps not for me. And yet it says here, when the righteous prosper, when things go well for the righteous, when good comes upon the righteous, my goodness, the whole city jumps for joy. How can this be? Well, I wonder if we find part of the answer, at least. And the answer to this question, who are these people here called the righteous? When you survey how the book of Proverbs, not just in chapter 11 in these two verses, but rather the entire book of Proverbs, how it uses that word, how it describes the righteous, do you know what we find? 
an interesting set of descriptions of these ones called righteous. We're told that their words are a life-giving gift to others. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, Proverbs 10, verse 11. We're told they live with integrity. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, Proverbs eleven twenty three. We see that they have integrity even in their plans and ambitions, Proverbs 12, 5. The plans of the righteous are just. These righteous ones are are full of wisdom that they don't just hold for themselves, for their own flourishing, but rather wisdom that they share with others. Proverbs 10.31, the mouth of the righteous brings the fruit of wisdom. We're told they're a a guide to their neighbor, Proverbs 12.26. Some of you animal lovers will love hearing this. They are kind towards All forms of life. Proverbs 12.10 says the righteous care for the needs of their animals. Because they know that God has made them all. They pray. The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Proverbs 17.15. We're told the righteous do not trust in their riches Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Rather, they trust in the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. Proverbs eighteen ten. We're told not only do they not trust in their riches, rather they're also generous. Proverbs twenty one twenty six. The righteous give and do not hold back. They labor on behalf of the vulnerable. Proverbs 29.7, the righteous care about justice for the poor. And they do so even when it's tough. You see, they're marked by courage. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1. And far from their righteousness being described as simply being morally stuffy, Because of the forgiveness of their sins, we're told in Proverbs 29.6, the righteous shout for joy and are glad. You see, what we find here is that these righteous ones whose prosperity, whose well-being result in the rejoicing of the city, these righteous ones are not defined simply by their private morality, but rather by their public generosity. Which means that when these righteous ones get a pay raise, we find that they become more materially Generous, not just towards themselves, but towards their neighbors. It means when they reach some position of influence, whether on a large-scale level, appreciated by many publicly, or on a small-scale level in their apartment building or on their block, when they reach some position of influence, they don't just include the purview of their own needs, but rather they include the needs of their neighbors and even their enemies. 
When they learn a new skill, they use it to strengthen someone else's job prospects and not simply their own. When their marriage is flourishing, their homes become a place of unusually warm neighborly hospitality. When they find themselves maybe long at last after seasons of darkness and despair, finally in an emotionally healthy state, they are found to be much more present, much more willing to listen, much more available to their fellow neighbors also in need. When they grow spiritually, Their neighbors find that they don't simply live with greater personal, individual, private, spiritual confidence. Rather, these neighbors find that this righteous one makes themselves an agent of peace on the block, in the building, and in the neighborhood, a peacemaker, even as they've experienced the very peace of God. As one commentator put it, the righteous here in this proverb use their good to promote the civic good. Another commentator said it like this, like yeast in the dough, they elevate the whole environment. Put another way, this is a person who is concerned not simply for their own interests, not simply for their own well-being, but rather sees every blessing that's given them by God as a means by which they themselves can become a blessing to those around them. The righteous are those who spend themselves on the common good, not just their individual good or just their tribe's good. The righteous serve and not simply consume. And so it's worth pondering together a question like this. As we consider the multiple manifold choices and decisions that we make on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. Where we live, where we'll work, where we'll send our kids to school, where we'll invest our energy and time, where we'll find rest and leisure, All wonderful questions, questions that we have freedom to answer as God gives us wisdom and faith to answer them. But isn't this the question? Do we even raise these questions to ourselves and in community about how our choices will bless others and not just myself? Do we even ask the question? Do we even raise it? At all, as we weigh these hard and sometimes intimidating decisions that we have before us, how will my choices bless others and not just myself and my own? Which, of course, is difficult. I stand with you in this struggle. I confess my own attachment to comfort and
convenience, my own consumer heart. This is the way our hearts are wired, aren't they? Uh, Turned inward, uh, only concerned with this right here. We need supernatural grace. We need transforming grace to turn our hearts inside out, that we might spend our energies not just in this direction, but rather in that direction. God gives us such grace. He calls us in a way where we'll never hear this calling anywhere else. It's a message you don't hear anywhere else to live spending ourselves on others in this manner, in a way that interrupts our pursuit of the American dream, that interrupts our chasing of career glory as we're so often encouraged to do in a city like Washington, D.C., in the way that we simply think we're on a certain material track from one earning standard to the next, from one set of possessions to the next one upgrade, from one mode of transportation to the next, from one level of comfort to the next. And God's word says nothing like that, but rather proposes for us a different vision, one that calls us to live right here, right here in a local place with face-to-face local relationships as servants rather than consumers. And so as you hear this, you might be perhaps interested in different neighborhood ministries of our church, whether if it might be the opportunity to engage in youth mentoring. Some of you might be gifted in this way, tutoring, basketball outreach at local recreation centers, Or perhaps your interest might be drawn to an organization that we partner with, DC 127, which facilitates foster care and serves families in crisis. Or maybe you might be drawn to our new conversational English ministry, which kicked off last Thursday, praise God. And you can find out about these and other outreach opportunities at a a mini ministry fair that we'll be hosting next week, October 7th right here in the foyer. You can find more information about these opportunities. You can plug yourself in. Or if something's burning on your heart today, you you can speak with Vula, our neighborhood outreach coordinator. We would love to engage whatever might be percolating in your heart, whatever your eyes might be set on, whatever ways that you might have a growing passion and burden, even if awkward and stilted at this time. Hey, we're all growing, we're all learning but a growing passion to love our neighbors, even as you yourself have been loved by Christ. But I want to make sure that it's clear, though, that this isn't just about the formal outreach ministries run by the church. Because I think as this passage is actually encouraging us to think, This is primarily about the daily lifestyles of the people of the church. There's a presumption here in this passage that there might be the fruit of joy in the city by the generosity and the service of these called the righteous ones. There's a presumption here that these people are only fruitful in this way 
because that's how deeply woven into ordinary life and the local community they actually are. Are we so weaved into the fabric of neighborly life that the greatest cause of people rooting for your well-being because they know that that will result in their own flourishing, that's how great your track record of service and generosity has been, that you know we're not just simply talking about quote-unquote community service in your spare time, but we're talking about how we do our jobs, how we walk on the sidewalks, how we pause and have conversations with those immediately around us, how we take interest in someone's story, how we notice the hurting and the forgotten, how we see the changes in our city and we consider who is impacted the most, how we put a name to these abstract categories of persons that we call the vulnerable or the poor or the marginalized, that just become a tag and an abstraction and an idea, but you're beginning to put names and faces and flesh and stories and friendship. Relationships that make these labels abstract no longer. Here is a a vision of city residents who have so hitched their destinies one to another. People who don't stand on the sidelines, people who are invested in relationships, invested, yes, even financially in the common good, invested emotionally, and of course, that has implications because this isn't accomplished, obviously, overnight. It's not accomplished in a moment even. It needs to be a habit, true fruit bearing over time. It's a a, a practice and not even just an individual, but a whole community that's linked arm in arm together, living out this life of gracious, generous righteousness as we're led to by this passage. It's why we know that this vision that we have for our church, being a neighborhood-centered church, is a long-term vision. It's one that, in fact, we believe really should outlive all of us. That this kind of transformation doesn't have happen in an instant, though our temperaments are trained to expect results instantly. But what it means is that some of us need to decide to plant roots and be such a neighbor for a long time. Uh, Some of you know you may not be here for a while, but will you plant your hearts at least, as long as you are here? Uh, Will you devote your resources, your prayers, your time to a specific place where you can bring focus to the ways that you're serving and where you're loving? Because we know not everyone lives in this neighborhood. We're still thrilled to gather a community of people that are devoted to this neighborhood. And it might mean that some of us might actually begin to consider staying. You you came perhaps to Washington believing that you'd be here for six months, which became 12 months, which maybe became two years, and you're still not sure why you're here and how long you'll be here. But will some consider staying for 
a long time or at least being open to staying for much longer than you expected because you want to be on board with the mission of God. Or some might actually consider moving because you want to pull together some of the pieces of your life and now actually plant roots locally here, perhaps in one of our constituent neighborhoods, a way for you to be present, to not just be anxiously passing through life and street blocks all the time, to not just be driven by personal ambition, but rather by an ethic of service that is defined and redefined by the life and death of Christ. Uh, By having open eyes that are looking for ways to invest, not looking past people, and listening for true stories about people's heartache as well as their flourishing. Not just listening to your own words, but slowing down enough to listen to the words of others. Uh, To actually give yourself to invest to a local place and people where we might use our gifts and spend our capital whether financial or emotional or relational or skills and gifts that you might have, not just for your own advancement, but for the advancement of your neighbors and most especially of the most vulnerable among us. Will you consider this call to be a neighbor in righteousness and generosity? How can you serve like this? How can we become righteous like that? We need to look to the truly righteous one. The one who lived for the common good, indeed even the salvation of the world. One who did nothing for selfish gain, gave himself And yet, the city did not rejoice at his coming. Rather, it yelled, crucify. Jesus, you know, served and served and did not consume, not for his glory, not for his name, not for the respect of people. He served even to the point of death. Dying not for his own unrighteousness, but rather for ours. The consumer hearts that I have, that we have, that we bring before him. As we read and heard last week from Mark 10, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And to the degree that we find ourselves recipients of this servanthood and this radical kind of love. When you know that you have been loved and forgiven, your life changes. Your heart is turned inside out. Your energies start to run in a different direction. First and foremost, upwards in love and gratitude. And secondly, outward in service and neighborly love. Jesus calls us to be citizens of a different city. He died for us that we might be ourselves a city that rejoices, citizens as we are of the heavenly city of Zion. So we're told by the prophet Isaiah, they will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away.
Don't you see, friends, this is an invitation to joy. The joy of knowing Christ in this way. The joy of spending yourselves on others and finding meaning and even dignity in being spent as an image of our servant Christ. And the joy of seeing your being spent result in the joy of others. And so we're left with one question, a practical one. What's that one decision that you've been turning over in your head? That one decision you've been pondering about your kids, about your possessions, about your job, about your relationships, about your home, about your leisure time, what's that one decision that you need to begin to ask differently? Now with the joy of the city in mind. What's one decision that you've been pondering or maybe that you need to re-ponder that needs to bend just, just a few degrees outward? in a different direction towards someone else's needs, dreams, or point of view, rather than your own. Dear friends, how will my choices bless others in this neighborhood, not just myself? See, by God's grace, when our hearts are changed, And when we choose well and serve and love our neighbors, the city will rejoice. Let's pray. Help us, Jesus. We are beginners and novices. We need changed hearts. Our problem is not primarily energy and time and scheduling. It's our need for a fresh wave of the grace of Christ to pour over our lives and to change us from the inside out. So will you do that for our good to be made more like Jesus, for your glory, that you might receive all the praise, and for our neighbor's good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. And let's sing.